0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We just finished our Bullseye world tour of several American cities, and it went great. We ate Philly cheesesteaks. We ate Baltimore crabs. I visited the world's best vintage menswear store in Boston. I was feeling pretty good, but then... When we got on stage in New York, and comedian David Cross sat down across from me, well, I don't know. He he looked a little—I guess—a little worse for wear. Why is your arm in a sling?
2: Uh, I had shoulder surgery. Um, Yeah, um, it was elective, you know. uh, (laughs) Just—you get to an age, and you're like—you look in the mirror, like, oh, my shoulders. So. Yeah, I wanted to spruce them up for for Christmas and uh, get some real Christmas shoulders out there.
1: It's Bullseye. Coming up, we'll hear my conversation with David Cross. He'll tell me about the differences between the first TV show he created with Bob Odenkirk, Mr. Show, and their new series with Bob and David. David says that 15 years or so of working in television has changed his approach to writing sketch comedy.
2: When we were doing Mr. Show and you'd write something and, okay, and then he falls out of a helicopter and uh, into a big pool of jello. Well, the director will figure that out. You know, now we're those guys who are like, hey guys, we can't, I don't know who wrote this, but you can't <laughs> fall from a helicopter to a pool of jello. <laughs> you know?
1: Later, I'll sit down with Tavi Gevinson. She found celebrity as a 12-year-old fashion blogger. Now at 19, I guess you could say she's come to professional acting kind of late in her career. I mean, you've acted for a long time as a hobbyist. Um, <laughs> well, acting that's is what th-
0: you call it when you're 10. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Plus, stand-up comedy from Aparna Nancharla and music from Pharaoh Monch. That's all coming up in an episode of Bullseye taped live on stage at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My interview guest, David Cross, is responsible for one of the country's best-loved and most influential sketch comedy series, HBO's Mr. Show. He created it with his comedy partner, Bob Odenkirk. David went on to play Dr. Tobias Funke on Arrested Development, create and star in The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret, and has just reunited with Bob to make a new show for Netflix with Bob and David. Let's take a listen to a clip.
3: You're watching Judge George No-Nonsense Jackson, where real people bring real cases in front of retired California Circuit
0: Court Judge George Jackson, and no nonsense is ever allowed.
2: Tonight, the defendant, Chaz Maloney, a world-ranked UFC fighter. Chaz is accused of unprovoked assault and causing bodily harm to the plaintiff. Andy Duane, who claims he was brutally attacked and still has the physical and mental scars to show for it. Andy is suing Chaz for medical costs and emotional trauma in the case of the popcorn punch All
4: remain seated <laughs> tonight. Judge George No-Nonsense Jackson is on vacation, filling in. Judge Sandy Some-Nonsense Whistleton. Your Honor? All righty,
2: here we go. Here it comes. All right, oh, yep. Okay, whoa, well, this is new here. What do do I do, just sit in it?
4: Yes, sir, just sit right in it.
2: Okay, let's give this a one-two buckle my shoe. See how this goes. All right, what do we have here tonight? Chaz Maloney and Andy Duane. Uh, One of you is a fighter, and uh, which one's which? I'm the fighter, Don't player. hit me! I'm not gonna hit anyone. Yeah. Okay, now I want to hear both sides, okay? Plaintiff, you, you go first. He almost killed me, sir. He broke my nose, he split my lip, he twisted my arm. My doctor says he hyperextended both of my elbows, and he pinned me! I... Uh- it was all a misunderstanding. I was in the ring. i have been training for months, waiting for my opponent, and then he just walks in. No, I didn't go to fight you, OK? Sir, I didn't want to fight anyone. OK, but you were in the ring. Didn't know it was a ring. It's a square. Sir, what kind of a ring is a square? There is no such thing. That's made
1: up. Ladies and gentlemen, David Cross. <laughs> Hello. At what point did um, you and Bob Odenkirk think that, you know, your reunions, which had been a a book and a couple of tours and... I keep... I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh,
2: you are literally the, like, 1,000th person to bring up Bob Odenkirk, and I don't know (laughs) who that is. (laughs)
1: Sorry, I interrupted. The question, <laughs> the question was, you know, you guys had, you guys have done things like over the since, you know, in the fifteen years or so since Mr. Show, oh, sure. you guys have done lot, tons of yeah, things of together. Things, yeah. um, but at, at what point did you think that you could make some more Mr. Show? I mean, it has a different name, but and it's a little different formatically, but is more Mr. Show.
2: Yeah, well, don't say that to Rob, right. um, but. <laughs> um, I don't think we ever had a, a time when we said, or we thought, uh, we can't do this or we have to do this. But it just it, it as you said, we've done a bunch of stuff. We've done two tours, you know, and we uh, put that book out, and we we've done uh, collaborated in in numerous ways. And it occurred to me uh, that the twentieth anniversary of Mister Show starting was about to happen. And we thought that was a great excuse, a convenient excuse, to get back together and go on tour. And we uh, talked about that and, and started getting together and writing stuff. Because we had done uh, a, a mini tour with Brian Bosain for the to promote the book. And had such a great time. And it was so much fun. And then Bob, when we were just in the nascent stages of that, uh, Bob said, you know, we're doing all this work. And a tour is a lot of work. It's a lot of time why don't we just do another sketch show? And so that's how this came about. It it was uh, somewhat organic, but it wasn't that we sat there and went, hey, let's get together
1: and do some more shows. It came about after a couple steps. Did you have any trepidation about doing it in a way that is like permanent and on film and everybody can see it? Well, at any point.
2: Yeah, in the the, uh, pure practical sense of, uh, you know, putting something out there for you know 2000 people to see or uh you know potentially 300 million people to see yeah the stakes are higher but i i mean we had already had 4 years of mr show under a belt and plus anything that all the stuff that we've worked on uh you know either together or singularly uh, individually uh in the ensuing 15 years from that uh, uh so it was it's it's now almost second nature to us so there was never a Oh boy, we're making a TV show. You know, it was just let yeah, let's do it. And, we, and if anything, we're we're more savvy. We know when we're uh, writing sketches now, as opposed to back then, we have both you know directed things and produced things. And you you get a sense of the luxury we had when we were just doing Mr. Show, and you'd write something, and okay, and then he falls out of a helicopter and uh, into a big pool of jello. Well, the director will figure that out. You know, now, we, now we're those guys <laughs> who are like, hey, guys, we can't... I don't know who wrote this, but you can't <laughs> fall from a helicopter to pull a gel, <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, so we were able to save some time in that <laughs> process. <laughs> but the stakes are much higher when you're unknown because when you're unknown, and if that fails... It's going to be i mean people just disappear, you never hear from them again, and it's it would be increasingly difficult if the only thing that you had worked on was an abject failure uh, <laughs> w- whereas we did that thing, it was uh critically successful and and still holds up, and we've gone on to do things that were some were successful and some were abject failures, but we've always we've compiled those. Successes, and we know that Mr. Show was successful, the only way it was a, a risk was was the inevitable kind of like, it's not as good as Mr. Show, you know. I mean, that's... But also, you can't do anything about that. There are going to be some people who think that and some people who don't, so whatever.
1: What felt different about doing it this time around?
2: Uh, the Santa Annas. We were in Glendale, and the Santa Annas had come in... <laughs> Um, so it's a, it's warmer, drier, um, you know, uh, way more chapstick than I'm used to. Um, the main difference was all of us, every writer, every and, and Bob and myself, um, and every actor, come to it with now 16 years' experience, and and we're older and we're more mature and um, fatter. Some of us are fatter, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, uh, everyone is, literally everyone is mellowed out and, you know, there's families and kids involved now and stuff. And, uh, um, but we come to it with, with 16 years of, of maturity and, uh, uh, you know, both emotional and professional maturity. And there's, there was, when we were first starting, there were, uh, um, you were kind of walking on eggshells sometimes because there were different personalities that we were. Uh, and everybody has their own distinctive personality, and and you had to be aware of people's feelings. Uh, if a, if a sketch wasn't going to go, and explain why it wasn't going to go, and why you're not in this thing, and and why we're gonna we got all this way, and now we're gonna cut it, and it doesn't work with this episode, and keep explaining it, and there was that kind of thing that you had to deal with as a showrunner. Um, whereas now every single person gets it. There's no hard feelings. Everybody understands. A lot of these guys are running their own shows, have had to do the same thing. So nobody was upset. Everybody got it. Like, all right, well, maybe I'll work on that sketch, and hopefully if we get to do this again, we'll put that sketch in there. There So that was a big, big difference.
1: Well, You know, one thing that I noticed in watching it, and, like, you know... I first saw like a lot of people I first saw Mr. Show in college, you know, like I saw it on like bootleg VHS tapes. That's when I first saw it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I mean, I just thought it was one of the most wonderful things I'd ever seen in my life. But um I think at the time I thought of it as more of a writerly show than a performer's show, you know, when it comes to sketch comedy, there's, you know, sometimes it's uh, you know, you, uh send Chris Farley out on stage and have him Chris Farley and it's going to be funny. And sometimes it's you write something really complicated and just the performance job is to put it over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really struck by how strong your performances were in the new one. I mean, it feels like you are both just much more comfortable actors.
2: Uh, well thank you that 's interesting. I never thought of that um, uh and perhaps we are you know uh again, you know sixteen years of experience and stuff and and we we know each other Bob and i uh intuitively unspoken in communication know each other know how to set each other up and know how to write for each other and um and all those other guys too uh uh i i hadn 't really thought of it uh but i Thank you
1: very much. I mean, do you... <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine that to some extent, like, it feels different working on camera on a show when it is the... one of the first things you've done in your career relative to when you have been a professional actor for, you know, an entire adult life.
2: Yeah, but but keep in mind, there really is... Uh, uh, certainly, there was a, a blessing to how... Unconsidered we were, and, and we had a tiny budget. Nobody cared about us. Nobody. I mean, we didn't even get notes really from HBO. Not, uh, uh, not to say that they didn't care for us, uh, but they just were like, "Yeah, you're this thing that Friday at twelve thirty in the morning, you can do whatever you want. We don't. It's HBO in nineteen ninety six. We nobody, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Their uh, attention was focused on. We Dream haven't done on. Sex in the City yet. Yes. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, you
1: weren't getting the Arliss money.
2: Yeah, we <laughs> we were not not getting the Arliss money. Ooh, uh, why did Arliss get the Arliss money? Um <laughs> anyway. he had the clout to book Michael <laughs> Irvin on the show. Yes. Um, the great Michael Irvin. <laughs> uh, um, but. Uh, you know, there's, there's a real uh, upside to that, you know, and it, it allowed us to do what we wanted. We didn't have to worry about that other stuff or care about that other stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we knew we had this niche audience waiting for us, you know. So uh, that helped us just be the people that we were, be the performers that we were,
1: and, uh, and just not worry. We never had to worry. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to comedian David Cross in an interview recorded at our live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. His new show, With Bob and David, is available to stream now on Netflix. After Mr. Show, you guys collaborated on a movie that took years to come out and I think came out in a way that was very different from what you had hoped it would be like. Um, you mean straight to DVD? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was
2: much different than we had hoped. But I mean, I got, I got the... Imp- uh, I literally piggybacked on the uh, flip side of... Uh, what was the... Um, whatever the Kelly Clarkson and the other guy who won American from Idol. From Justin to Kelly? Yeah, from Justin to Kelly. That was it. If you got from Justin to Kelly, you got Run, Ronnie, Run. Run, Run. <laughs> you know. Uh, but I mean, I think... marketing. I
1: think, like, even what went up on the screen wasn't necessarily what you chose... To go up on the screen, not not at all, no. Um, and I wonder if at, at that point, when all of that went down, um, you, there was a point where you were like, "Man, like this is the collaboration of our lives for us, the two of us, to work together, and this was going to be the the next step, and it, this isn't going to go somewhere."
2: It was uh, a very sobering, uh, surprising punch in the gut, really, because we assumed because of the way that Mr. Show was rolling and because of the um, the credibility we had and we thought with this movie, like, this is the next logical step. It's what Python did. Python got to, they did these sketch shows and then they got to make these really clever, cool movies. And, uh, you know, in a sense with, the, like, Judd Apatow's gang. And we're going to get to do that. That's the next logical step. And then when... Run, Ronnie, run happened, um, and you know, we, we, it's been talked about forever, and uh, uh, it was very disappointing. The whole process was disappointing, and kind of uh, uh, not in a regrettable way, but our lives changed. Our paths changed from what we thought they were going to be. We thought we would be collaborating on
1: all kinds of crazy, wonderful stuff, you know. What, what did you? What did you move to New York to do? To figure out what your next thing was going to be or
2: No, I I really was uh, uh I I don't care for LA. Uh I there are so many um I don't hate LA, but there's so many other places I'd rather be. I, when I'm in LA, I, I'm there and I'm like, man, you know, I'd rather be in Seattle. I'd rather be in Portland. I'd rather be in London. I'd rather be in Barcelona. I'd rather be—I mean, these are—and when you're, and, and the list is tremendous. Uh,
1: I'm really thinking about my choices right now.
2: <laughs> on, honestly, when you get to the point where you're like, you know what? I'd rather live in Reykjavik than LA. Is not on the top of your list, you know, and and uh, and I and. It's just not me. I, I understand why people like it, and I, it's just not the, the things that people like about it I don't care about. And, uh, and I really do love New York, um, and I, uh, they've got great uh, audience whistlers, probably the best audience <laughs> whistlers in the United States. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I came here, and then uh, uh, shortly after I came here, I ended up... Really, my stand-up kind of took a a turn, and I... uh, um, But again, Bob and I were always in touch. We're very, very close friends. We've collaborated throughout the years, and uh, he's a great-sounding board. He gives great advice for projects I'm working on. If I get stuck, I call him, and...
1: You You were also... I mean, when you say your stand-up took a turn, I mean, it was very different. I mean, I, I saw you do a show in, I'm going to guess, 2000-ish or something in San Francisco, where you opened with a bit that I think was in your first half-hour special where you, you come out and you sing this nonsense song. Oh, yeah. And then you keep putting the microphone to the audience to sing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, like, finish the line and then you're all upset with them for not getting it right. Yes. And it's- that was way more of what I used. I used to do more kind
2: of absurdist. Right. Yeah, and it was like it was a stuff.
1: super funny bit and very goofy and silly. Oh, Jesse, some people hated it. <laughs> I can understand. I mean, it's like you abusing the audience first thing on stage.
2: <laughs> I mean,
1: abuse is a, a relative term, certainly. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, but then, like you know, it's only like a year, or two years later that your album "Shut Up" you. Baby came out, and you're, um, and you know you're talking directly about the world and being, you know, yourself and being angry rather than doing a goofy bet.
2: Well, I would argue that that was a double CD, and a, and th- those those that tour that they came from. I'll was grant like, you
1: that point, <laughs> but there was like
2: a that was like a two and a half hour show. I know it was self indulgent, but. Uh, it wasn't all strident stuff. No, 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 not at all. The stuff that people remember was strident and of the moment, and I think uh, uh, you know spoke for a people who didn't, who were feeling that but didn't say it because uh, it was so close right after it that that I you know went out. But um, uh, but there was plenty of goofy stuff on there.
1: It's good. There, okay. You know, it has, and, I I'm mean, not saying that you exclusively did one thing or the other, but you know, you but no, also, could, like, in touring also, for that.
2: I could have also gone on, you know, done that, you know, 9 <laughs> 11 was a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, would, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> That's just
1: Gallagher's act. <laughs> Pre 9 <pre-9/11, actually>. 11. Yeah. <laughs> Very prescient, that one. I, I, think, I think a lot about uh, this line that Tom Lair uses to explain why he quit making records like two records in 50 years ago um, which is he says what's the use of having laurels if you can't rest on them it's <laughs> um, a great line um, and, and I wonder if like uh, uh, I wonder if you are able to at this point in your career uh, like feel secure and proud in some of the things that you've Accomplished, or do you feel like you have to push, push, push?
2: Um, both. I don't think those are mutually exclusive ideas. I, I do. I am very proud of some of the things. Most of the things I've done. There are some things I've done that I look at and I think, man, I really, I was lazy. I was. Uh, I should have done this, but I didn't. And I think I probably my gut told me back then. That I should have done this thing, but I didn't out of whatever laziness or fear or whatever it was, but those aren't there aren't that many of those things um and I'm proud of of certain aspects of what I've done, but I also definitely feel the need to push and uh you know I'll work for six seven eight months on a project I'm like I cannot wait to just go home and just relax and I don't want to do anything, I don't want to think about anything for the next three months two weeks into that, I'm like what am I doing? i got to do something, I want to do something, and and I have all these ideas uh, you know, like a Ritalin kid, you know, who's who's just snorted a line of crystal, like my brain just can't (laughs) shut down and I then find my next project, I mean that's why I got the shoulder surgery, (laughs) Jesse
1: so I could keep going it's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to my interview with the comedian and writer-producer David Cross, which was recorded in front of an audience at the Bell House in Brooklyn. His new show, With Bob and David, is available now on Netflix. Um, so I've, I've, been, uh, I've been doing this show now for 15 years. Um, and, um, congratulations. Congratulations. At the end of the first year... Wait, but you...
2: uh, When... uh, The Sound of Young America, that was part of this, or... That's a continuing... Yeah, 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 okay. We changed the name at some point. Okay, I understand. So... For a second there, I thought I was
1: really old. (laughs) And um, at the end of the first year of doing it, I was in college... And um, we started doing some interviews, and uh, you were on that first tour of rock clubs. And you had a date in Santa Cruz, where I went to college, and oh where our show God. was based.
2: That was a that was a nightmare of that show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not gonna I I I'm not gonna say what I've heard about that show. I wasn't able to be there. I was out of town. But I think there were 27 people.
2: <laughs> there was a mistake that was made, uh, and then and we made. My ignorance, uh, it was the first tour I had put together with a friend of mine um, who was in the band. And, God, I remember his name. I won't say his name. But the guy who was our booking guy who booked their band never got a guarantee and never talked to the guy at Santa Cruz. 27 people showed up, and they were like old biker guys. And and then and you can't And help. my friends
1: Jordan and Gene.
2: <laughs> you can't help but... Comment on the situation and keep laughing, like, you know, I gotta do an hour and a half. You know, and there's like some guy nobody wants you there. Nobody wants you there. I should have just bought 27 orders of nachos and a couple rounds and gone, are we cool? Can I leave now? Oh, that was a that was a that was the culmination of like several different mistakes that were made.
1: So that uh for that show. Um, we, you know, we called your publicist or whatever. I emailed your publicist, whatever, and said, you know, we would love to have David Cross on the show. And A publicist now, not then. I didn't have a publicist. Or the, who, somebody. Somebody at your record company. I don't remember who it was. I didn't have a record company it, yet. Well, someone at the Catalyst, one of the bikers. <laughs> yeah. No, that was like... Uh... So let me finish this. All right. All right. it's going <laughs> to... I'm building something here. But that was me
2: and uh, my friends in a van, in a van, driving around the... Yeah. There was no... Nobody in the New York office. We (laughs) spoke with someone.
1: Mayor Koch. Um, And uh, I had finished the school year and I had an internship in Washington, D.C. I had to fly to Washington, D.C. before your show in Santa Cruz, but my co-hosts were still back there. And it was like my first or second day of this internship in Washington, D.C. And I was in like... Union Station in Washington, D.C. I think it's called the Giant Station. Anyway, I had this voicemail on my cell phone, I checked my voicemail, and it was, uh, hey, it's David Cross. I heard you want me to come on your show. I totally will. Um, And I didn't get to do the interview. You know, my friend uh, Brian Heater filled in for me, and and Gene and Jordan did it, and you were driving over the grapevine or something. It was, you know, whatever. But... um, You know, when we talked to whoever we talked to, Mayor Koch or whatever in the office, they said... It was probably Ginny, his assistant. Yeah, there you go. They said, you know, they said, um, yeah, you know, I'll I'll talk to David about it. He really likes to do this kind of thing. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think when uh, when you agreed to come on the show, um, it was like a very important moment in me feeling like, oh, we could really do a real thing because this person that we admire so much uh, was willing to share their time with us, um, and I I feel the same way about having you here today, so thank you very much, David. Oh, absolutely. My, my pleasure. Um, always,
2: always happy to help out young whippersnappers. Uh, <laughs> I probably imagined you, uh, boy, that was a long time ago, and it was like, you know what, um, let me jump to the future and see what if he grew a beard what it would look like (laughs) you know would he could he possibly be the the model for Sir Kensington's artisanal ketchup yes (laughs) yes he could yes very much he could No, I'm, I'm hap- I was happy to do it, I'm sure. Like,
1: on, the way, on the way out of an interview a, a, a month or two ago, Tom Arnold told me uh, that I look like the bouncer in a Hasidic strip club. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's better. That's way better than mine. That's great. So anyway, about... I, uh, about... I, think, I think you look like a magician who just became a Navy SEAL. <laughs>
1: David Cross, ladies and gentlemen. David Cross's new show with Bob and David David. is streaming now on Netflix. After a break, we'll have stand-up comedy from Aparna Nancherla, and I'll sit down with Rookie Magazine founder Tavi Gevinson. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from ThriveMarket.com, an online shopping club where healthy organic foods and non-toxic products are up to 50% off retail prices and shipped to your door. You can easily filter by your preferences, including vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And when you become a member, ThriveMarket.com will donate a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or military veteran. Go to ThriveMarket.com npr to start your free two-month trial and get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening to Bullseye. Inspiring stories about our capacity to adapt and finding happiness may be simpler than you think. The TED Radio Hour is a journey through fascinating ideas, astonishing inventions, fresh approaches to old problems, and new ways to think and create. Find the TED Radio Hour podcast at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Let's get back to our live show taped at the Bell House in Brooklyn and some stand-up comedy. Our guest has appeared on Conan at Midnight and Totally Biased. She's also a writer on Late Night with Seth Meyers. This is Parna Nancharla.
3: Thank you guys for coming out. It's a it's a rainy night in New York. Um I don't I don't know how you guys feel about it when it rains here. I like it. I feel like the smells really open up, you know? <laughs> like oh, notes of diaper. I didn't get that before. Subtle. I also like when it rains here where there's just like a there's like dead umbrellas everywhere, you know, like lining the streets and it sometimes it seems kind of grim, but I kind of like it because it feels like They died doing what they loved, Uh, which is not working, you know. We should all be so lucky. So I am recently still single. Thank you. I know. You're like, what is it about her? She's lonely. I... No, it's fine. I don't mind being single. I was thinking about it, and, you know, some people like being in relationships. I don't mind being single because I'm very busy doing other things, uh, like leaning in, for example. (laughs) One of my pet peeves as a single person in the city is sometimes you're walking. uh, You know, it's like, we walk too, and you'll get stuck behind couples on the sidewalk happens, like, every neighborhood, every time of year. And, you know, you try to get around them, but then you can't because their love is so strong. <laughs> and then you'll just be, like, caught walking in the credits of their movie. <laughs> and then you just have to follow them home and become their child. It's a real <laughs> hassle. It's like, I had plans. I had things to do. I have been trying to date. Uh, dating is hard. I know that's a revolutionary concept, but uh, I don't know. It's like you have to show up and be fun. Like, you can't have it both ways. It's just a lot to ask. It is a lot to ask. But I've been trying to put myself out there. Like, I'll, I'll ask you guys this. Has anyone uh, been asked out on, like, a social media site, but, like, not an online dating site? Like, a di- just a s- random social media site. Anyone? Yeah? Do you mind saying what it was? Facebook. And did you go on the date? Yeah. Yeah, And we're married. Ah, That's so great. Uh, Yeah. I also got asked out over Facebook and it wasn't someone I knew. Like basically they sent me a message and they were like, oh, I saw you do a show. You were very funny and pretty. Let's go out. I was like, great. Like the hardest part is over. They didn't even ask. They just decided uh, (laughs) it's wonderful, you know. Um, It's like, I I should take the plunge. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? It's like, Yodo, you only date occasionally. Um, You gotta gotta do it. And the one thing that was kind of weird was that his profile picture was just a Santa emoji. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, there's a slight chance he doesn't have a face, which might be an issue at some point. Or that his face is, indeed, a Santa emoji, which is, like, a separate set of issues. But, no, I had, I had my friend Google him, and she was like, no, he checks out, he has a face, you're good to go. Yeah. I don't like to Google people before the first date. Like, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I feel like some things you should save for marriage. Uh, so I had her do it, and she was like, no, you're good to go. And then we made plans. Like I think we decided to meet up for drinks, and I tried to pick a bar where it was like, you know, if I go missing, people will be like, well, at least she had a good time before she left. Uh, and so we met up, and uh, first impressions were great. He was tall, he smelled good, he had a face. It was like triple threat. Uh, LAUGHTER yeah, it, it, and all the features were in the right place. Like, it wasn't one of those Picasso faces where, you're like, I don't need a nose that high, you know? It's, like, very experimental. But it was, like, no, everything was great. And then he bought us drinks. We sat down. And one of the first things he said were, it was just, like, red flag meter alerted. Uh, he was, like, one of the first things out of his mouth. He was just, like, uh, one thing you should know about me, I'm really big on honesty. I just like telling it how it is. It's, like, okay, who leads with that as a human like who who puts that on the table right away like un- unless you're auditioning for a reality show you know it doesn't make sense you just be like and I'm not here to make friends you're just like looking for the cameras it's just it's a little forced and it's also like honesty on a first date <laughs> no thanks <laughs> Like, call me conservative, but I feel like dating is like health insurance. Like, you wait until you're accepted in as a member before you start revealing all your pre-existing conditions, you know? Like, you, <laughs> you wait until, like, year five before you're like, oh, by the way, I have diabetes and another family. Happy anniversary! <laughs> I feel like if a first date goes well, it's like two houses of lies interacting well together. (laughs) And then you're just like, we both buy the illusion. Let's do this again. But again, it was like, night was young. I was like, let's just see where it goes. And and then we started talking. We didn't have a lot in common. You know, he's like, I work in finance. I was like, I have no money. So (laughs) we're hitting a few walls. And then, like, maybe midway through the night, he came out with this. He was just like, you know... (laughs) I'm actually pretty funny. I could be a comedian. Oh, wow, you guys had the exactly correct reaction. (laughs) Amazing. It's so weird. Like, every time I've told an audience that, everyone's appropriately horrified. And yet, every time I meet someone who was once in an audience scenario, it's always, like, a ticking time bomb big reveal where they're just like, Oh, I should tell you this. You know... Uh, you know that thing you do that uh, you've worked pretty hard at and made a lot of sacrifices for? Yeah, yeah, I, I thought about doing it, but um, I'm too good. I'm too good! <laughs> it's so presumptuous. Like, you wouldn't do it for any other career. Like, you wouldn't be like, oh, check this out, check this out. I, I've actually seen the moon a couple times. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm space material. Like, it is so condescending. But at that point, a uh, baby cockroach ran across our table, you know? So it was like, New York! Like, it was a sweet moment. But, um... Really, it should have been foreshadowing, but I didn't pick up on it yet. Because, basically, after that, the night just unraveled into him becoming an Amazon algorithm, where he was just like, you might also not like the next thing I'm going to say. LAUGHTER Like started running out of things to talk about, like I believe the date actually stood up and left the room, and we were still sitting there, uh, like I think we discussed the levels of our waters and then and then he reached across the table and he forced my mouth into a smile <laughs> He smile violated me He smileted me like. You know, women get mad when they're told to smile on the street, but to, like, forcibly be smiled? Like, my brain ran out of reactions. It was just like, air, 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 patriarchy overload. (laughs) Like, really, I was just mad at myself in that moment for when he, like, leaned over and touched my face, not having it melt off and be like, now you're cursed. This was a test. There never was a date. Uh... But uh, basically, the rest of the date can best be summed up from a quote from the movie Titanic, which I had to copy down. Uh, It's a little melodramatic, but it fits. Uh, You'll see why. Okay, here it is. Afterwards, the 700 people in the boats... That's me. Had nothing to do but wait. Wait to die... (laughs) Wait to live. Wait for an absolution that would never come. (laughs) So we are engaged. (laughs) That was so cute how we met. Okay, that's going to be it for me. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the show.
1: Aparna Nancharla, find out where she's performing near you at aparnacomedy.com. A P A R N A comedy.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Today's show was taped live on stage at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) Um, Oh, wow. Okay, so next up on the program, um, I'm going to be really frank with you guys. So our next guest got famous when she was like 14 years old, internet famous anyway. And I thought, she's a a fashion blogger and fashionista at the time, and I thought, Ah, oh, this has got to be you know? Because of, like, 14-year-olds. You know, I don't trust them. <laughs> and, um... But more than that, the internet I don't trust. And then, like, she was sticking around, and then I kind of looked into her, and I was like, hmm, this is pretty good. And we had her on the show, and she was, like, one of the most impressive guests that we had ever had. Like, so impressive that it... Honestly, it kind of upset me. <laughs> Again... Um, and uh, r- astonishingly, uh, since then, not, not only has she continued to uh, capably write and edit a really beautiful online publication called Rookie, uh, which has just issued its fourth year book, um, she's recently also become an actor starring on Broadway and in a film. And I, I didn't see the Broadway show because I live in Los Angeles, but I saw the movie and she's super good in it. And I was like, give me a break. Please welcome to the stage, <laughs> Tavi Gevinson. <laughs> Hi, Tavi, how are you?
0: Um, pretty chill after that intro. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: yep. you got a lot to live up to, kid. Um, I have a question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When... You had, I mean, you've acted for a long time as a, as a hobbyist. Um, well, acting that's is, what
0: you call it when you're 10. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: you know, acting is not a new thing to you. However, I think it must be weird to start acting when you are already being precociously successful at another thing because... I don't know, I feel like people would be sort of like hoping that you would do a bad job. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that way when you decided to act for real?
0: Um. Well, I guess, I mean, I had a lot of imposter syndrome about it because there is also something like acting and especially doing a Broadway play. It's so, um, I don't know, there's like this whole legacy to it. And I felt like a fraud coming into it, um, ultimately, because, like, I had internet access when I was younger. Um, (laughs) As if, like, other people who break into these industries are necessarily, like, going about it in a more pure way. I mean, there's, like, money and parents and connections and stuff like that. But it also, um, yeah, I mean, everyone's, like, a a slash actress or whatever. Um, So I, I felt, like, a little corny about it, but, like, what are you... I don't know, you can't live according to the possibility of how people might react, especially people who, like, want to see you fail. That's so uh, weird. Yes, <laughs> I can. That's, <laughs> like, mean, my I specialty. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm not even an actual famous person.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, I, being a person is so um, confusing, and uh, social interactions are hard, but I do think, like, uh, I don't, for whatever reason, I had to build a really thick skin at a young age. And so then by the time this came up, it's like, well, I want to do it. I'm already here. Like, I can't not do the play now. Fear won't help me. Being insecure won't help me, which is a weird robotic ability to compartmentalize. But yeah.
1: Because one of the things about acting, and especially on stage, is in order to do a good job, you have to kind of, like, jump off a cliff. Like, you have to open yourself to an extraordinary extent and, like, be there with the people that you're working with.
0: Totally. Like, I think for a period of time, um, it made me, like, even better at just being there and talking to another person And, like, really trying to listen to other people socially or my friends or my family or whatever. Because it really teaches you this, like, insane moment-to-moment, like, ability to focus on what's in front of you. Which is, is like, the opposite of, like, being a writer and being inside my head and, um, (laughs) like, removing myself from people.
1: How did you learn to do that uh, on stage?
0: It was really hard. And it was a huge issue for me like i because we set the show one way like went through the the text a million times and there was a really good plan and then i was like okay now i just do the plan a hundred times and then at some point the playwright and director were like you can't you have to be open to new things happening and i was like no because i'm god (laughs) and I know how things will go and I know when I look like a bad actor and when I look like I don't know what I'm doing. And you have to accept that you're, you will look like... I don't know, that you could make a wrong choice or something, but our playwright kept saying, like, well, if it's real, it can't be wrong. Um, and it's so much more appealing to watch someone who feels like a person than someone who feels like a really calculated actor. And, um, I mean, that's, like, why it makes you... I guess that's also why, like, theater kids are annoying, or as people say, because it's like you do just have to, like, go with... Like, I'm also grateful for my writer brain's ability to, like, censor myself. I'm sure I was, like, extra obnoxious in those few months just because I was like, I should voice every thought I have. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs>
1: You're in, like, what, now, like, the fifth year of Rookie, right? Because the fourth year book just came out yeah. So when you, when you started the magazine, which is an online magazine for young women, you were very squarely in the demographic and you are starting to age out of the core demo. Mm-hmm. Look, I've read the magazine and enjoyed it. I'm a 34 year old man. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I felt a little bit leery. Uh, <laughs> that's not <laughs> <laughs> like I was leering. Um, <laughs> And I wonder if you see, like, the category of that time in life mm-hmm. differently now as a 19-year-old than you did as, like, a 16-year-old or 15-year-old.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel most of the time... I mean, I'm thankful every day that I'm no longer in high school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have had a handful of adults read the site and the books for years and not because um they're like oh it makes me nostalgic for how great high school was but because they feel like they're still going through a lot of these same things and like when we were working on the last book and I just had to reread everything from that year I was like I just have the best job of just like reading these really affirming things and um I just don't I mean, yeah, I cannot remember what it's like to be in that building every day and, like, hate it, but I think a lot of the other emotions just kind of carry over. I don't think anyone's like, and now I am an adult.
1: School really does suck, right? Yeah. Are we allowed to say that on a public radio show?
0: (laughs) (laughs) With the caveat that it's, like... All so good for you and like an immense privilege and everything. It's also um, something that can suck, yes. I'll
1: finish my conversation with Tavi Gevinson after a break. We'll talk about dealing with online trolls and negativity. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Thanks for listening to Bullseye. Inspiring stories about our capacity to adapt and finding happiness may be simpler than you think. The TED Radio Hour is a journey through fascinating ideas, astonishing inventions, fresh approaches to old problems, and new ways to think and create. Find the TED Radio Hour podcast at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Udacity, an innovative online education provider. Udacity offers unrivaled learning opportunities for anyone starting or changing a career, upskilling to pursue advancement, or simply seeking personal betterment. Udacity develops cutting-edge courses in partnership with leading companies like Google, AT&T, and Facebook on everything from mastering web design to tech entrepreneurship. More at Udacity.com. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Coming up, we've got music from rapper Pharaoh Monch. But first, let's get back to my interview with the writer and actor Tavi Gevinson, which was taped in front of a live audience at the Bell House in Brooklyn. What of the sort of anxieties and trip-ups and terrors that are covered in, um, in Rookie do you feel like are still with you? And which of them do you feel like you are better at? <sighs> Um, you don't have to tell me you've licked them, but, like, wh- which have you <laughs> improved at?
0: Well, I will say there are certain things where, like, we'll get a submission that's about how, like, it's okay to like pop music as well as more obscure-seeming music. And it, and we'll go, like, oh, well, this, we know this. Yes, this we know. But then...
1: You're welcome. My generation says you're welcome for that one.
0: Yes. Thank you. Um, But there will be things like that where I'm like, well, now in my, you know, non-high school community, that feels really obvious. But when we post it, of course, that's, like, on the minds of other maybe 14-year-olds or something, and they're like, oh, my God, I was just thinking about this. So there are things like that where, um, you know, you just want to, like, dignify that stage in a person's life. But I guess other stuff... I mean, there's really great <laughs> that we have really smart writers. There's a lot of stuff I think I have turned to in regards to, like, just, like, finding your people and your, you know, the people you trust and friends you feel supported by. And also there's a lot of good writing about, like, insecurity with love and breakups and, yeah, I, I, can, I mean, I could rattle off, like, 20 articles I revisit uh, frequently.
1: I liked that you have a series of articles on the site about skills. Mm. You know, because I, because I have a, a menswear blog and am forced to live part-time in that world, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked at a men's thing. They are horrible. <laughs> and the main thing is, like, these skills articles that are about, like, gaining the power to trick the world to, like, shorten the time that it takes you to tie your shoe or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and they make me want hit to hit myself in the face with a frying pan, you know? It's like, how can you... Well, let's say you were out hiking and you got attacked <laughs> by a mountain lion and all you had was some body spray. What would you... You know what I mean? I, I hate it. But... like. <laughs> You're like on Rookie, there is, uh, and forgive me for forgetting the name of the woman who writes this uh, series, but like there's this series of articles about life skills that I sat down and read every single one all the way through one day because I was so. And some of them were like things about what to do when you get your period in certain situations.
0: (laughs) And you were like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. But like one of the things
1: about it is like, yeah, like to some extent, like as much as. Twenty-year-old dudes like to have like have this fantastical imagination coming up with these situations where the world is against them. <laughs> like it comes naturally to a fifteen-year-old girl. Like <laughs> the world is sincerely, in many ways, right. set up to really kick you in the butt. You know.
0: That's extremely well put. I really love that. Um, <laughs> what you just said there. Um, that
1: non-question.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that writer's name is Krista Burton and she just has been writing them for years where yeah it'll be like how to give a real apology and then it's like you know an apology is not I'm sorry you felt that way it's I'm sorry I did this thing like so there are some like that that are more about I don't know emotional intelligence and then there are some that are very practical like um, breaking down a door should you need to (laughs) because the world is against you
1: (laughs) You're listening to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to the writer and actor Tavi Gevinson. Our interview was taped in front of a live audience at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. Do people say to you when they come up to you, "It's this is so weird to say, but I feel like I know you even though we've never met?
0: Multiple times, someone on the street has been like, Tavi, and I... They say it with such familiarity that I think I know them, and I, but I don't remember them. So I'm like, "Hey!" and I like hug them, and they're like, "No, I don't know you." <laughs> but they're, but then they're like, "Yeah, I, just, I like your stuff," but I, I think, um, and I walk away in shame. Um, but yeah, I think there is some of that going on, and it doesn't feel honestly. Like, I'm like, yeah, if you've read what I've written, you know me better than, like, probably people in my life. So, (laughs) yeah. You're
1: just saying, what you're trying to say is that your actual friends and family do not read your work. No. (laughs) That's been my experience. (laughs) With my friends and family.
0: Actually, well, yeah, I mean. My wife is like,
1: why why would I listen to your show? I live in a house with you. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's watch The Wire. <laughs>
0: um Yeah, well, I mean, that makes sense. I just mean, I think, like, yeah, it does feel like a safe space. So I've always felt comfortable writing on Rookie and, like, being myself. And so I don't feel like it's so far off. I imagine,
1: though, that for, for you, I mean, one of the things for my experience, and I'm by no means the public figure that you are, but, um you know, because I'm like a... Uh, big 34-year-old dude, like, the amount of stuff that's negative that people have to say about me is pretty modest. Like, mostly Mm -hmm. I mean, mostly because they don't know who I am, but like (laughs) somebody doesn't like me, they don't usually feel compelled to tell me. My experience talking to friends who are women, and especially young women, is that it's different for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder how that has affected your life.
0: Um, I mean, I don't know. I, again, had to build a thick skin at a young age. And it's also like, if you have like a few close friends, which I feel I do, you don't have to be liked by like a lot of people you don't know. Like that holds no bearing on your day-to-day life. You know, unless someone is, like, close to me or could give me a job. I don't really care. Like, that... I mean, I sound like I'm... I'm sure... Like, it's taken a long time to build up to this. And on a bad day, it's not true. But, like, I just remember when I was younger, I'm really glad that my mom was not like, don't listen to them. You're an angel. Um... (laughs) And, which is not to say that she was like, yeah, they're right, you do suck. <laughs> um, but she was just like, you know, people... It was like, I, yeah, I was like in middle school and people started writing about me or, uh, or commenting on my blog or whatever, and she was like, you know, everyone wants to be heard. All we want is to be heard by other people, and one way to do that and to be the loudest is to be negative and to have a negative opinion. And um, so I don't, you know... You, when you're like... when you publish work or you're a public person in any way, you accept that there are all these versions of you that have nothing to do with you. You just become an avatar for a lot of people. So, like, of course a 14-year-old with a fashion blog seems annoying, but, like, that has nothing to do with what was going on inside my head when I was 14. So, yeah.
1: Are there things that you've learned in making Rookie that you rely on in your life
0: um yeah like i mean so much just letting other people speak you know like when something comes up that we want to cover but it's not close to my experience like i don't feel the need to comment on it but i do feel the need to give that platform to someone who has a more valuable point of view than i do and i think that that is like a nice way to think about um Listening to a friend who's going through something or or whatever um yeah i definitely i mean i it's it's just great I love like finding work by young people who are just like putting themselves out there and uh then working on it with these other editors and all of the kind of questions like that that come up throughout are, I think, informative in, like, larger ways. I got annoyed recently because someone who's close to me was, like, kind of chalking it up to just being, like, super, like, brainy and knowing how to run a company. And, I mean, maybe that, you know, got to me because maybe I feel like that's true. That could be a possibility. But I think it got to me because I was like, but it's not that. This isn't a purely... um, I don't know, like there is, there are questions of uh, emotional intelligence, like, I don't know, we're trying to, I don't think it's like a robot job, it's like a very human job, and so I don't feel like, um, when you're written about as like a prodigy and stuff, it's like, that implies that you have some kind of gift that has nothing to do with who you are in the rest of your life and like you just have this weird skill and you're just like I mean I don't have the brain of Bobby Fisher but you're just Bobby Fisher like (laughs) like staring at something and like magic, something magically happening and I really don't I feel like I'm the same person as a friend as I am as an editor and I don't know I I, I don't know what that was but there you go
1: well Tavi thank you so much for I thought that was great. Okay. A. You're making. You're making noises like it wasn't a good answer, and it was a super good answer. Thank you. Um, but thank you so much for coming. To, thank you so much for coming to see us again and, and doing this. It was really great to have you back on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Toby Gevinson ladies and gentlemen. Tavi Gevinson is the editor in chief of Rookie Magazine, which is available online. Every so often, its articles are collected into books. The latest Rookie Yearbook 4 is out now. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week's episode was taped on stage at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. And when we do the live version of the show, we like to invite a musical guest. For The Brooklyn Show, we got somebody really special, one of the greatest rappers in the country, Pharrell Monch. His latest album is PTSD. So here's Pharrell Monch and DJ Boogie Blind with the song Time 2 from that album.
4: Lord. Well, 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 well 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 help you cleanse my sins my sins help you lift this spell look the fire we fight demons from our past only the faithful Toats are unconscious. My top is perpetual. Deep. Make the connection. You sleep because reality bites. Inception. Inception. Protection orders for my post-traumatic stress disorder. Molested Mexican babies stretch across the border. Across the, border. the streets paved in gold often fade. When the paint they use to pave the streets is in us. The greener is the grass on the other side. <laughs> Except when that other side is Jenna or sewer. You smile while you sipping a cup of Kalua. That makes me want to man on I feel okay. I'm trying to utilize my time to shine here what? I realize we only have limited time here Dudes on my line trying to sell me a timeshare That'll be me with a line losing my mind in Times Square this time oh, is yeah. how you gonna treat me You know what this business was before you hired me A piece of shit. Everybody, everybody on the floor right now everybody, everybody get the right. oath down yeah. that that you, they hired me and this this this. this we, 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 they, they fired me and i can pick cut all this fill b- 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 the paper what the what b- b- oh, am i supposed to, supposed to say, to, say to, 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 to my wife she's put b- 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 pregnant and if the kid does not go to college his life's irrelevant and my 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 and makes me a felon, and i just want to take this im you know, c- c- crack and sell, sell it. it to the planet panic i'm a manic depressive mechanic that manages to frantically do damage to brain with Xanax, and like the word anxiety is branded panoramic To the back of my eyelids in a variety of font Aerial, boom, gothic Lost to the Times Square and going home is not an option Is this illusion? I think perhaps it's just a relation With my Zoloft and uh-huh. The section of my brain that forms sentences hey, is hey, an operative hey, Danger, 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 danger. It's all right. Foresight. Fat lip. Colleges. My tolerance is volatile and it feels like I'm losing love oxygen. Lord, Lord. Lord, Well, 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 Help me well, well. cleanse my sin. Help me lift this, lift this spell. Swell. Thank you. This song right here is called Broken Again. And it deals with addiction. Cause uh you could be addicted to bad relationships, you could be addicted to drugs, you could be addicted to alcohol. In this sense, it's bad relationships that I'm addicted to. And I had to move on from those. No so this song is called Broken Again. It's about addiction. Gotta move on, gotta let go, would have opened my eyes if I would have known after all of this time took my heart to mend. that I turn around and be broken again. like this. <laughs> gotta move on, gotta let go, would've opened my eyes, and I would've known, after all of this time, took my heart to mend, that i turn around, be broken again, <sighs> the glass half full, cause some seed has happened. See the class is twice the size it needed to be Smashed it against the wall in the kitchen On the floor going through withdrawals I was itching She rescued me, my heroine, to the end But then she morphed into heroin and a syringe Around my bicep, I would tie shoe strength. tap Five times to find a vein and then. I can see the seven C's, CC all my friends so they can see, see what, what I was, I was seeing. seeing, but what they saw was a despicable human being, so guess they just wasn't seeing what I was seeing, uh-huh. convert two into one, an indivisible plan to discover what dreams may come for this invisible man, sentimental education, beautiful but the dam was constantly catching fire. huh Richie Pryor, Prior. my skin deteriorated. Family infuriated by the myriad of tracks, but Trade. my train never came. So humiliated, started begging for change. Failed rehabilitation, so the scars still remain. Nice uh-huh. clothes became frayed. Uh-huh. So isolated and afraid. <laughs> Smell like a move my teeth are now decaying. I'm relocated in Alabama now. Alabama now. I'm on that main in Milan now. Atlanta. now. But it won't stop to burn. Burn, burn, burn Constantly searching for the answers how I can kiss the sky without a handsome button It's just so hard to learn come on, come on, come on. goes like come on. this, we say Gotta move on Gotta let go Would've opened my eyes Again. You gotta move forward and you gotta push. This song is about moving forward through adversity and conquering it. song is called Broken Again. Fifth.
1: That was Farrell Munch and DJ Boogie Blind. You can find more of their set from our live show at the Bell House on our website, MaximumFun.org. For information about Pharaoh's live shows and latest releases, go to Farrow, P-H-A-R-O-A-H-E.com. We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. The show's produced by Speaking Into Microphones. This week we did so on stage at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York, thanks to Dave Hurtgen for engineering help and to Emily Erskine for her help with our tour. Our producer's Julia Smith, production fellow at Maximum Fun, is a body and Senior producer is Colin Anderson. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally, thanks to the Go team and their label Memphis Industries for our theme music. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, they're all free. Just go to MaximumFun.org. And if you want to hear about more cool culture stuff, you can check out our sister podcast, Pop Rocket. It's a roundtable discussion of everything that's great in popular culture, hosted by comedian Guy Branham. Pop Rocket. Find it wherever you download podcasts. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.